I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Just before we start today's show, I should tell you about our new sponsor. It's going to be our sponsor for the next ooh, couple of months here on Mid-Atlantic. It's Flick. And what Flick do is they have an app. And it allows you, the listener, to chat with other listeners of this podcast. Quite simply, to go and download this app to your smartphone. Go onto the show notes of this episode. You'll see a link. Click on that link. It will then download an app to your phone, which then connects you to the world of Mid-Atlantic listeners. Now, not only can you chat, create your own topics, and respond to uh, people's comments about US and UK politics, we can also listen to the show. So it basically acts as an, an app for the podcast. So go onto the show notes, download the Flick app, and enjoy. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic. From the perspective of the other, I'm Royfield Brown, who is back in, in back in the Bay Area with my two daughters, Maisha and Ella. And boy, oh boy, have we been having fun going to Marin, the North Bay, East Bay, and of course, the city. Now, today we are joined by the love bomb, that is Doug Levy in San Francisco, and by our future Home Secretary, Emma Burnell in London. So hello, folks. Hello, Hello and no, under no circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> um, in a week that it, I, I think you would as well. A, I'd trust a you. Home Secretary on the left is a poison chalice, hmm. uh, and B, I one thing I'm absolutely sure of more than at any other time in my life is that I do not want to be an elected politician. <laughs> I'm trying to think 
quickly off the top of my head, who was the last Labour Home Secretary that went on to do... You know, you are right. It is a graveyard, isn't it? Blair, I think Blair was... No, he was oh, Shadow was he? Home Secretary. He was never exactly. Home Secretary. He was never yeah. actually... No, you're didn't right. Have, yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, no one who serves... Because the left hate that role, generally. Yeah. So, you know, it's never one that's going to fill you with popularity. True that. Now, folks, in a week that has seen uh, Britain record its highest ever temperature on record, we ask if the president can call all Mexicans rapists and Baltimore, which is synonym for Black America, infested... When will Republicans call him out on his shit? President Trump firing off another shot today in his ongoing battle against Congressman Elijah Cummings and the city he represents. Baltimore has been very badly mishandled for many years. As you know, Congressman Cummings has been there for a long time. He's had a very iron hand on it. It's a corrupt city. Those people are living in hell in Baltimore. They're largely African-American. Words from the president that cut deep for people we talk to here. The president today said that people who live in Baltimore are living in hell. How does that make you feel? It don't feel good. You know, it don't feel good at all. And about this claim from the president. I've received more phone calls than I think on any other subject of people from Baltimore and other cities corruptly run by Democrats thanking me for getting involved. We didn't hear much gratitude. It really upsets me because that's not true. I mean, yeah, we have our problems here in Baltimore, but everybody has problems. Why do you think the president keeps attacking Congressman Cummings? Because he's the head of the Oversight Committee. Others suspect different motives. Do you think President Trump is racist? Yeah, hands down. No doubt about it. Tonight, we kept hearing the same offer, that the president should come and see the city for himself. We can invite Trump to come visit Maryland. And then he can make his own own assumptions. He won't have to hear it from the news. He'll be here himself. I'm the least racist person there is anywhere in the world, President Donald Trump said this week. But more than half Americans say Trump is racist, including 80% of African Americans. A new Quinnipiac poll has found. Um, In a pitch to black voters in 2016, Trump said, You're living in poverty. Your schools are no good. You have no jobs. 58% of your youth is unemployed. What the hell do you have to lose? He's not wrong, is he, Doug? Oh, he's completely wrong. And I actually know a lot about what he's talking about because I used to live in the district that he's calling rat-infested and so on. And sure, are Mm -hmm. there parts of that area that are struggling? Absolutely. And there's a lot of reasons for it. And the blame goes across the board. No question about it. However... Elijah Cummings has got to take this on the chin. It's all his fault, isn't he? Oh, completely. Elijah Cummings is a hero. This is a man who went into the practice of law because when he was 11 years old, he was barred from swimming in the neighborhood swimming pool along with his friends because of the color of his skin. And a volunteer attorney took on the case and won and forced Baltimore to integrate that neighborhood swimming pool. And that's what got him motivated to study law, become a lawyer, become a great lawyer, and then run for office. He's he's a leader. He's everything that Trump isn't. And the part that saddens me, too, is that what we're seeing is people falling for the distraction. Cummings is zeroing in on Trump's corruption and his power 
to subpoena documents is revealing it. There were some very enlightening things that came out just in the last couple of days. So the timing of this so, attack is not surprising. Okay, Doug, so tell us about the committee that he chairs. Cummings is the chair of the House Oversight Committee. So this is essentially the main committee that investigates uh, the executive branch. It's the reason the committee exists. And in the normal course of things, the committee will hold hearings and request documents from every government agency just to make sure that the money is being spent according to what Congress allocated. Um, In many cases, Congress writes laws that don't work out the way they were intended. So the oversight process is a way for Congress to review the results of what they've done and see if they need to fix problems. It's, and then there's also revealing corruption, spending on inappropriate things, malfeasance, and national security threats, too. So it's what they do. And that specifically is the reason why Trump has him in his crosshairs, isn't it? Because he has the potential, if not actually, to be a massive thorn in his side. And there was um, a Fox News uh, segment about him, wasn't there? Which is actually what set Trump off. Well, in fact, if you follow Trump's Twitter stream, um, if something is on Fox News, it will show up on Trump's Twitter usually within a few minutes. And this particular pattern against Cummings has tracked almost completely along that way. So Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson... Laura Ingram going after Cummings, who has been actively demanding, because he's legally entitled to demand documents from the administration, documents showing things like um, sharing drafts of speeches with um, the government of the United Arab Emirates or Saudi Arabia to get their input on American policy, but they're not sharing it with Congress. That's kind of weird. Uh, Those are the kinds of documents that Cummings committee is entitled to see. And they're getting them because some of the bureaucrats in the administration are actually following the law and it makes Trump look bad. And Trump is trying Mm -hmm. to do everything possible to prevent people from noticing. Emma, there's a stark divide on the issue of um, whether the president is a racist or not. Um, It's a stark divide on partisan and racial grounds. 46% of white Americans say Trump is a racist, and that compares to 60% of black folks. Um, Whilst the poll also showed that 91% of Republicans believe that Trump is not a racist, and that's almost mirrored by the figure for the Democrats, which I think is 40... Sorry... 86% 86% who say that he is. Um, if Trump can say that four congresswomen should go back to wherever they came from, to totally broken countries, at what point will white Americans in a plurality say that this president is not only an abomination, an aberration, but also a racist? I think the problem is, is that an awful lot of them are still going to vote for him and they don't the politics of race have moved on to a cert- to enough of an extent that you will still vote along racial lines. You just won't openly admit it, uh, or at least 
I think a lot of people won't openly admit it. Mm. Um, I think it's become more and more true over the last 30, 40 years. But I think you could probably openly say things like that in the 70s that you couldn't say now, like under Nixon, for example. Um, I think that voters also just enjoy basically trolling pollsters uh, and will just say the thing they think their team want to hear. Um, I understand that Republican registration has crashed like, like number-wise quite significantly um, during the Trump years. And so the people who are there are the Trumpites. You know, the, the never-Trump Republicans are no longer registered Republican. So if you then do a poll of people who are Republicans, um, then you're going to get really high approval ratings for Trump because the ones who are left willing to say, I am a Republican are the ones who are all in on Trump. So you, there, a lot of different things need to happen over a significant number of years. And I think the eye was taken off the ball really, really badly in terms of um, the continuation of civil rights and the, the continuation of the argument um, about racial justice. I think a lot of people kind of got to a point where, oh, you know, um, we've elected a black president and all of our favorite artists and sports people are black and, hey, aren't we a wonderful liberal country that is so amazing and didn't see what was happening under the surface, didn't see the results of things like the differential between urban and rural um, neighborhoods and how that was breaking down. Um, still didn't see the difference in poverty levels in the north and the south and how that was breaking down. Um, and I think that the, there is so much that needs to be done on policy terms, but also just on basic public education terms to just go back into these attitudes that have just not even re-blossomed, but it's like, you know, when you cut back a weed and you think it's gone. And so everyone's like, oh, the weed is gone. Yay, look, we have a lovely clean flower bed. And then you don't notice that all the way through the years, those weeds are just growing back under the surface. And then suddenly they pop out and everyone's like, oh my God, where have all the weeds come from? And it's like, well, then you never got rid of them. Never got rid of them in the first place. And, and you never did the constant work of putting down the weed killer day after day. Now, this is a, becoming a more and more tortured analogy. But that's where we're at. Like, I just don't, I think we kind of got too complacent about everything that needed to be done. Um, I, I think it's a good one. And I think you hit on uh, a big truth there, Emma. Doug, um, is it true that for a lot of people in white America, they say civil rights happened 50 odd years ago. Don't even talk to me about slavery. That is ancient history. These people can just pull themselves up by the bootstraps. America is a land of opportunity for all. If they're languishing in poverty, living in rat infested cities, it's their own fault. That, that's really it, isn't it? That there is, that for large sections of American society, they do not see the link between um, generational wealth or lack of it and things like redlining, which was um, instituted in America as recently as the 1970s, whereby certain sections of American society, i.e. African-Americans, have much less institutional um, inherited wealth, etc., because 
they couldn't even have mortgages for houses as recently as the 1970s in many situations. And folks just don't see that by when I say folks, I mean white folks. So let's go, ah, these people are just lazy. Discuss. That's absolutely right. And I have to admit that I've been dismayed at how many people that I know really believe that, uh, America was integrated in the 60s after the civil rights movement, and that was the end of problems. And it's not the case. But unfortunately, a lot of these people, and many of these folks, are not Republicans, or if, even if they're Republicans, they don't support Trump. But they will, I think, genuinely believe that they are completely unbiased and not prejudiced and not even the slightest bit racist. They believe that everybody has equal opportunity. They believe that um, there were no obstacles for them, so therefore there were no obstacles for anybody else. And I've literally been in a place with people like this where there's obvious discrepancy in treatment between people of one skin color and the rest. And it's right in front of us, and they don't see it. It's a pervasive denial, and it's really a vexing problem, because that's that's how Trump won. Mm. Oh, one of the characteristics of most racists is their um, categorical inability to see themselves actually as racist, which kind of goes back to what you were just saying, Doug, that they literally can't see uh, the wood for the trees, so to speak, when discussing institutional inequality. And I I think also when people then start to see there's a certain level of guilt, which is another reason why you don't want to kind kind of at least outwardly admit it. Well, I think there's two different types of what you just referred to as racism, and I think this distinction is important. You have the overt racists, the folks that march in Charlottesville, the folks who, uh, you know, confront people when they try to, you know, have dinner in a restaurant. Um, the folks that have come out from the woodwork in the last two plus years, who are no longer hiding their overt racism. Then you have the folks who truly believe they are not racist who truly don't believe that there is racism and can't believe that they harbor any prejudice themselves. The distinction is that on one side, you've got people who are just, those are the deplorables. But you have a lot of people who are sincere in their beliefs, just uninformed and unaware and resistant to learning that they might be wrong. Mm. Uh, I, I think that's a, a good distinction to make, and I think Emma kind of hinted at this before, is that specifically people tell pollsters what they think uh, the pollster wants to hear, and there are going to be many more people who will say, of course I'm not racist, who actually absolutely are lying to the pollsters, but then also are also lying to themselves as well. Mm-hmm. You know? um, but it's kind of interesting that trump has been so utterly naked with saying things like uh you know talking about baltimore which is a synonym for african-american saying that it's uh rat infested etc um why hasn't considering that 
Whether Trump wins in 2020, he won in 2016. Why hasn't another modern American president run on such nakedly racist rhetoric before? Why we always had this sunny upland stuff before? We're all in it together. We are we are many one people, etc., etc. Um, because I know, Emma, you, you talked about uh, the Nixon administ- administration, and yes, I think James Brown, I, I could be wrong here, but I think James Brown was a Nixon supporter and got blowback from the African-American community because of that. Um, but Nixon didn't go out of his way to castigate african-americans there were certain dog whistles maybe talking about inner city america but this wasn't repeated and systematic in the way of trump so the question is why haven't we had in recent american history i'm not going back to the days of andrew jackson recent american history uh, a president that's actually run on such divisive racist rhetoric um emma discuss. Well, I think there are two reasons. Firstly, no one thought Trump was going to win. Um, So it was only when he did win that other people started going, oh, that's a winning formula. We should should do that. Um, And secondly, the reason, or one of the many, many reasons, um, that this is part of a backlash is who Trump is following. Mm. And he's following a relatively liberal, not as liberal as the Democratic Party is now, uh, or at least big parts of it are now going, but a relatively liberal black president, the first black president. So yeah, what you've got is a a reaction to that um, from certain groups of people, some of whom are the overt Charlottesville racists, as you said, but also some who are just like, oh, I'm not a racist, but, you know, the I'm not a racist, but crowd are bigger than people think. Mm. Uh, Emma, do you have some black friends? Uh, I've got a black brother, if that helps. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, uh, you you seem to have disappeared. I'm looking at a map of what my- the North Bay. Yes, you're seeing the uh, 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 you're seeing Marin County, which is where I am situated mm-hmm. right now. I am underneath the redwood trees, and I turned my video off because the bandwidth is uh, not as strong as I'd like to be like it to be. But I'm still here. Oh well, uh, well, as somebody who does a podcast called Map Corner, quite appreciate what I'm looking at. Here, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sucker for a map. I'm a title sucker. And for I a like map. Marin County. I have been there on holiday. It's very nice. <laughs> mm, and I was in Larkspur just yesterday. Oh, um, having a nice little Mexican meal with with my daughters. Look, we. We need um, to talk, but we'll do that. All right. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, Doug, should we be concerned as to whether Trump is uh, a racist or whether his comments are just bigoted? What do you reckon? I'm not sure it makes a difference. The thing is that his election was to the office of president of the United States, and he took an oath that pledged that he would uphold the Constitution, which means that he's responsible to all Americans, not just the ones who look like him or support him. And that's the part that ought to offend even the Republicans. And it's most disappointing that they're not stepping up at all 
and correcting his uh, strange view of what his job is. I mean, literally, this is a man who filed his reelection campaign papers the day he was sworn in so that he's able to do things um, out of bounds from any of his predecessors and get away with it. And he is not governing on behalf of everybody. He's actively trying to harm certain individuals based on their political views, based on their skin color, based on their economic uh, position, based on their religion. And this is the exact opposite of what the United States stands for, but we've got power-hungry, greedy people in the House and Senate who will, and you know, the Republican Party, who will not stand up to him. And it just, it's it's horrifying. This is a long, long-term trend in the Republican Party. Um, you know, this is not something that suddenly happened. You know, they, if you look at what the autopsy they did after they lost in 2012, and they were like, well, we've gone too far away from being able to talk to communities of color. Um, you know, that was, that was their, then that was what they were going to change. And then they, their, but their base, who they've been ginning up with this politics for 20, 30 years, you know, from Willie Horton, uh, if not way before onwards, you know, they, the base just weren't going to have that change. And that's why the base went for Trump, even though the people who were trying to pursue what they thought was supposed to be a long-term winning strategy um, were, were trying to argue the opposite. Mm. And then the, once the, it did win, everyone fell in step because they don't want to be deselected. Well, and, and also the, the, primary t- <laughs> the other reason that they fell into step is that the folks who actually have the power are, you know, they're, they're not even the one percenter. They're even they're, they're like the the one percent of the one percent. And yeah, they yeah, are yeah. benefiting from what Trump is doing. They're also getting their judges, which will benefit them. And nobody else matters to them. That um, Emma, you raised a, a very interesting point, and there was after the after Romney lost that reappraisal in the Republican Party, looking at demographic trends as to where the party should go, as to which constituents, which American constituents, it should appeal to, and as poll after poll actually really demonstrates that African-Americans, at least the African-Americans that turn out to vote, are actually uh, small-c conservative. They're not um, out there and radical. The Latino population of America, up until at least um, uh, the election of Romney, was, is split 50-50 between Republican and Democrat, that many minority communities actually are, with a small c, socially conservative. Mm-hmm. They absolutely are. So it wouldn't take um, a stretch for uh, a Republican Party, if it can drop its white identitarianism, actually to embrace those communities and to have a coalition which not necessarily is going to be a winning one but definitely one that's going to be competitive going going into the future um interestingly in some of the polls you know again looking at specifically with the african-american community they um supported hillary clinton when she was running against barack obama 
up until the point when Obama started to win primaries. They were Clinton supporters. And the reason is always given, and now they are Biden supporters, is because they like name recognition. They are actually slightly conservative because they want somebody who they believe can win. That's, you know, it's one of the three things always said about African-American voters, not people who are necessarily that loud and shouty on social media, but actually um, the women who go out and vote. And it's not too dissimilar in, in, in the Latino community. You know, they want name recognition, but also somebody who they believe can win, who's not going to scare mm. the horses. Which is why Biden has such a strong following. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. The Latino exactly. community is actually more complicated than that. Um, you, you have Latino groups from different countries that have very, very different political situations, and that dramatically influences their views once they arrive in the United States. So, uh, Listen, Doug, absolutely. And yes, and there's the, there's the Cuban uh, Americans in Florida who are s- solid Republicans because they come from this communist country absolutely but even up until bush i think somebody somebody's gonna will email me in and correct me on this but off the top of my head it was something like bush won 60 percent of the latino vote yeah he he, he did uh, very the, well and 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 i i think that's partially because of the conservative latinos but also bush was able to reach out on issues that mattered to Latino voters in many different communities. Um, Trump isn't even trying to do that, and that's the part that is so so alarming. Didn't I read that Bush did quite a lot of advertising in Spanish um, and on Spanish-language television um, stations? So, so I think it was a deliberate kind of, uh, you know, strategy. He, he, he was governor of Texas. He had a good relationship mm. with Latino voters in Texas, and it just makes sense. Um, you know, the, the Trump campaign has, has organized a Latinos for Trump committee that um, I'm sure they've got somebody on it. But, you know, there's no groundswell and there's certainly no effort to reach out. And um, it's it's really sad because this is this is not, you know, I want to see a healthy debate on policies with lots of different viewpoints in it. I don't want somebody beginning the debate saying, you're coming from a bad country. I don't care what you think. Mm-hmm. You don't belong Absolutely. here. Yeah. Just, just to end up, um, just to follow on from that point, uh, Doug, I'm going to say the shocking thing, for me, the most shocking thing for me was when Trump castigated Baltimore saying it was rat-infested and that no human being would want to live there, is the president of America talking about an American city which is somewhat important in your founding myth because that's where your national anthem (laughs) kind of came from. And Republicans didn't even call him out on that. They should should be saying, wait wait on a minute, you're also president of Baltimore. You Mm. cannot say that. Mm. Forget the race. But no one even said that. It's true. It's it's horrifying that you know, you've had you know senators say, "Well, I I don't read the Twitter stuff," or both sides are bad. No, 
that's not the case. And in fact, you know, Trump yesterday, I believe it was, uh, called Cummings a racist. Used that word a number of times. Um, just as the Washington Post, which labeled Senator Mitch McConnell as a Russian asset, Trump's retort is the Washington Post is a Russian asset. Just like in the debate uh, when Hillary called him a puppet of Putin, uh, his response was, no puppet, you're the puppet. He's doing childish retorts. And the Republican leaders are letting him do it because they're winning. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we'll see whether they've won come 2020. And on that point, let's uh, go over to Blighty and to discuss this uh, polyglot, this diverse, this multiplicity of the talents, the new British cabinet. At least you've got a government Indeed. that works. No, we really, really don't. <laughs> Trust to me. To be fair, Emma, how do we know? They've barely started. They've okay, barely they have started. barely started. That's true. So let's mm. look at their track records. Uh, All right. So I haven't even asked my first question. Go on then. <laughs> it's over now for Theresa May and anything that resembles her government. She leaves a stack of problems behind for Boris Johnson. And his first steps in number 10 are more bravado than continuity. Suspicions lurking with the choice of the chief of the Leave campaign in the referendum, Dominic Cummings, as a senior advisor. And within half an hour of moving in, he was out of the back gates, off to the commons to hire and fire. This was the afternoon of the big axe. Sacked privately in the swelter of the commons, more than half of the cabinet cleared out. One senior Tory called it a warped takeover. Tories out! Tories out! But watch a new government being made. A new chancellor, a new foreign secretary, a new home secretary too. Big change at breakneck speed. Promotions for Brexit believers. The most important thing is to get us out of the EU by the end of October. Exactly the same message from the new Chancellor. The Prime Minister has already set out some of his key priorities. That includes making sure that we leave the European Union on October the 31st. Just in case Boris Johnson was under any illusion, his government surrounded by a demonstration before it's gone to bed. You can hear protests outside the gates. You can listen to rivals around the table. But in the end, every leader is ultimately on their own. After being elected Prime Minister by the Conservative Party, Johnson has created a seemingly diverse but hardline war cabinet who will deliver Brexit by October the 31st by any means necessary. Has Johnson got the team around him to do the thinking for him on Brexit? Emma Burnell, tell no. us. Um, I mean, How so? because he doesn't want people who want to think on Brexit. That's not, you know, thinking is not in vogue. What mm -hmm. he wants is a headbanger who will just go, yes, full steam ahead, no matter what the damage, let's just get out on with no deal on 31st of October. Let's have the most frightening Halloween we could possibly have. It does look um, like he's pushed out the people that could think. Yeah. I mean, he's literally asked for loyalty pledges. There is no, you're not allowed to be in the cabinet if you are not... Uh, willing to accept no deal brexit on 31st of october all right okay first off let's look at just the the optics of this because as as a person of color um home secretary uh non-white 
Um, Chancellor. Chancellor is Jekka, non-white. I'm like, bloody hell. Right. This does look to me like modern Britain. I mean, absolutely. In, in racial terms, uh, it, it, you can't take that away. And I think it is, you know, uh, representation is important. So I think it's, you know, it's great that young black kids can look up and see, um, you know, Sajid Javid as Chancellor of the Exchequer, first ever non-white Chancellor of the Exchequer. Great. Um, in lots of other and, terms. And, and uh, you know what? And let's just focus on this point. Okay. We have the Conservative Party that is forever saying that you can get there um, on your merits. You can get where you, there is nothing structurally against you, the individual, doing whatever the heck you want to do. And it's not by accident that this party has had not one but two female leaders and they have this cabinet. Let's give them some credit. I want to take issue with the merit arguments um, because the thing about this cabinet, where this, this cabinet may be diverse Listen, in I'm playing, de- I'm playing devil's advocate here, Emma. But you, you know this. But I, I'm, I'm fully aware of this. Uh, <laughs> I can see the cheeky glint in your eye. <laughs> but this cabinet is something like 40 plus percent um, privately school oh. educated. Mm-hmm. Um, so the merit argument falls down quite quickly there because actually these are people who were literally born into privilege, educated to be privileged. Uh, and so there are fewer meritocracy arguments across the board. Um, but so still you can make I, the I argument, You can still make the argument. You can still make the argument by saying, okay, so that 40% that went to private schools and would have silver spoons in their mouths. But look, here is the son of a Pakistani immigrant bus driver, and he is the chancellor. You can actually argue it both ways. You really could. You can. Um, son of a Pakistani immigrant bus driver who went on to be a, a, a banker. So, yeah. you know, he's not, you know, the he didn't go straight from the bus driving to a union to a MP you know he, he went through the city of London and made mm. quite a lot of money doing so so let's you know uh, which is probably tells you more about the diversity of the city of London than anything else um, so I, yeah I just I think there are arguments on both sides and I don't want to take away from the diversity argument in terms of race partly because so not my lane uh, and also because I you know People I know on the left who are people of colour have said, yeah, that does matter to me, actually. You know, will I vote Tory as a result? No. But it is good to see that even they are broadening out and opening up. And that's a good thing. And Um, historically, they have been broader than the Labour Party. They have. uh, Not generally. I mean, basically, they've, they've... They've achieved things Labour have absolutely monstrously failed to do, i.e. elect Mm -hmm. female leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, But generally what they've had is less diversity, but had a few sort of people come forward at the top. So Margaret Thatcher, for example, was was the only woman in her cabinet. and you know they what they don't tend to do is then have the policies that kind of try to lift all boats you know it, it when you come at it from a, a meritocracy only argument you don't then try to deal with structural societal issues 
that people who so so I would say Labour Party are better on the structural society bit really not great always on representation it's which you think matters most and I would argue that the structural society bit is more important because it helps more people on the other hand I would love the Labour Party to be more representative Mm. all right so at least the optics of this cabinet looks better than before let's let's give them that I'm not saying it's great, but it looks better than before. And it looks like some level of Britain that I personally know. Um, why are these people all screaming right-wing Brexiteer headbangers? Uh, you know, we've got Michael Gove in there. Um, he, he, he is a sensible gentleman. Uh, Dominic Raab, you know, he's going to be a steady voice, you know, projecting British uh, influence uh, throughout Dominic the world. Dominic Raab didn't know how important Dover was, and now he's <laughs> secretary. Can you imagine how terrifying that is? I mean, seriously, he did not know how close Calais and Dover were. Like, like I'd, how... He's not even from, like, not the southeast of England how does he not know these things like it's just basics like and he's the foreign secretary he didn't know that he also when he was Brexit secretary went over to Europe and basically pissed everybody off you know really burnt his boats with almost everybody over there so yeah but I'm good. sure he's a fast learner though Emma he's gonna go over there now you know once bitten twice shy you know he's gonna have it's gonna have a silver tongue and also 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 we've got you know we've got the, t- the got the ticking time haven't we if things have to be sorted by the 31st uh, of October so we're all good um but um, look, looking, looking at this cabinet, though, right? This really is a Labour Party's. Okay, <sighs> I'm going to say the Labour Party's um, wet dream of the type of <laughs> cabinet you want to want to face. But I can't speak for Jeremy Corbyn. But let's say if you are in the opposition, if you are a Remainer, this absolutely is the government that you want to be looking at isn't it it's definitely it makes the your life you want to define yourself against absolutely. absolutely absolutely tell us why tell us why emma because it's 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 a trumpian take on how to do it they have said no let's not do the emollient um unite the country bit and i think we talked last time about johnson's speech when he first started he, that was not a unite the country speech it was you know we're going to show you all how wrong you are speech so it, it, but, whoa, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. but he's minister for the union it's in well, his title prime minister first order secretary minister for the civil service and minister of the union he's added that he got his he's, he's just he's gone to wales he, he, yeah, he's, he's gone to Wales to tell them they're wrong. And he's going Scotland. to go to Scotland and tell them they're wrong. He's going he to go to Ireland and tell them they're wrong. He's been booed in Manchester. Yeah, he's a divisive guy. Um, he didn't used to be quite so divisive, but he is, you know, a divisive guy. And, and he's, he has absolutely no problem with saying, I am the Minister for the Union, whilst at the same time doing nothing to help uh, ameliorate any of the problems caused to the union by a hard Brexit. Mm. Um, Doug, I've been somewhat surprised with the amount of press that Boris Johnson has actually got over here. Um, without giving us exactly your thoughts and feelings on on our new prime minister, could you give us a little bit of a sense as to what 
the average American uh, might feel or think about uh, uh, about our mop-headed blonde leader? In a weird way, I think that seeing what's happening in the UK maybe gives Americans hope or comfort. It helps us certainly feel like we're not alone. And in a weird way, maybe Johnson, who at least is better educated and arguably has stronger credentials for the position, um, perhaps something that he does will turn out okay and the folks on this side of the pond will figure out that they need to change a little bit. Again, I've been pleasant, well, not pleasantly, I've been somewhat surprised because you, you Americans generally don't like to look further than your borders than, than maybe the Middle East, and really the Middle East means Israel when it comes to, to world news. Right but now we don't want to the, look at our own news, so we're happy to look somewhere else. <laughs> well, and Boris has all of the, the the hallmarks of the Trump thing. You know, he's an entertainer. He's you know, and that kind of bumbling posh git thing that Americans absolutely adore. That's why Hugh Grant sells so well. Mm. But is it me, Emma? And this is a genuine question. You know, I, I appreciate that half of my questions are a setup, and I know exactly <laughs> the answer that I want, or the or at least the answer I, I expect to get. But this genuine question now. Looking at the press coverage, because I'm looking at it slightly through a US lens, but though I am looking at a lot of Channel 4 News and BBC News, he seems to have slightly dropped the bumbling thing in in the in, in his first week. That he it does appear to be getting down to business. And 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 I say this advisably because I I have no trouble with his politics at all. He does seem to have energized no the no the point then at least he's energized the Tory party but things do seem to have had um a couple of uh, electric charges run through them in terms of UK politics and as I said and first question though has he dropped the bumbling bit uh probably a bit I mean it was always an act so um he's got where he wanted to go with it um, and now he has to kind of get on with it. And I think there does need to be a certain amount of reassurance because he can either bumble or he can be the hardline no-deal Brexiter. But I think a hardline bumbler would be quite a difficult type rope act to pull off. Mm. But that is, uh, has been an important part of his shtick is the reason why he's got there. Yeah, but he's there now, so he doesn't really need to keep it up. Mm. Very true. I was always really struck by a friend of mine, um, not at all a Tory, works in the NHS, um, is an occupational therapist, always said to me, I like Boris Johnson, and had at her workstation a cut-out picture of him. And I was just horrified. I went, you're not a Tory? And she says, yeah, but he's just nice though, isn't he? He's fun. I, I think, I, I do honestly think that us on the left, and I and I throw this out to, to Americans as well, that we are blindsided by uh, people on the right that have charisma. 
we 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 see through it and we say but where are the policies they're instinctively against the things that that we want but in t- but in terms of retail politics in terms of how most people view the news and politics it is actually through uh, a lens of i like this person i don't like that person mm. and you bear with he has something which very few british politicians Exactly. That that that's a very blunt way of, of putting it. But yes, it's absolutely that. It's absolutely that. And whenever I've spoken to to politicians, the ones with the best interpersonal skills traditionally have been the Tories in the UK. I haven't spoken to any American politicians. Full stop, or hardly any. I think about two. Um, but it's always been the Tories have the best interpersonal skills, whereas the lefties come over as um, ideologues uh, and somewhat dogmatic interpersonally. Well, and that was Hillary Clinton's problem. Exactly. You know, she actually Mm. had very good command of issues and had strong policies, but she was, unlike her husband she was unable to connect with voters the way that Trump did. And, you know, if you don't connect, if you don't get people fired up and passionate about you, the individual, they're not going to think about your policies. And of course, what we're seeing, I think what you're saying in, in, in the UK as well if people are really passionate about the individual, they don't care about the policies. Mm. Uh, whilst I'm tempted to agree with you there, Doug, uh, the two last President Bushes, nobody got fired up about them. People loved Bush too. Yeah. Not Bush one. Bush one was too patrician, but Bush two was the guy you wanted to go for a beer with. Absolutely. People forget that now. No, that's true. All right. Shut up, me. Uh, <laughs> Emma... Why should we be so worried about Dominic Cummings? Who is he and why is he so evil? Uh, Dominic Cummings is uh, was the sort of brains behind the Vote Leave campaign. Um, before that, he was Michael Gove's spad, uh, sorry, special advisor. Uh, I'll try not mm. to do too much jargon, um, which is like the personal aid to... Um, the then Education Secretary, Michael Gove. Now, Michael Gove is a really interesting character because he was, once upon a time, the most loathed man in David Cameron's government. And one of the things that came out um, in the 2017 election was people who would say, use the phrase, I can't vote Tory, I'm a teacher. And that Mm -hmm. all came down to Michael Gove, who would... uh, put in educational reforms that were very, very unpopular, both with parents and with teachers, um, and just really drove them through. And at the same time, Dominic Cummings, who was his, um, as a, his sort of chief of staff type person, um, went to absolute war with the civil service, you know, refused to um, be told, well, actually, these things won't work and just did them anyway. And of course, then they didn't work. And then he blamed the civil service for them not working, um, called the civil service, the blob. Uh, and just absolutely, and he's what he is, is, uh, an absolute, um, sort of 
new revolution, um, cultural revolutionist, but from the right. You know, he just wants to wreck everything and rebuild from the ashes. Um, and what that rebuilding would be would be a very low regulation, low tax, um, low social support economy. Um, he has now quite extraordinary power as um, one of Boris Johnson's major advisors. All um, special advisors throughout the government now answer to him rather than to their own ministers. Now, some say that that's not a major change because technically that was always the case. You were always employed by the um, by the prime minister. Yeah, that's who your contract was with. But actually, it feels culturally like there is quite a big change there. Um, and he's a person who just, you know, he, he just keeps a very, very tight grip whilst also writing 20,000 word screeds on why everyone else is awful and he's wonderful. Um, it is well worth reading some of his, um, his long essays about how brilliant he is. Not because he's brilliant or they're brilliant, but because it's an extraordinary insight into that type of mind. So Dominic Cummins is all things bad. So what people have actually said, what commentators and pundits have said about this cabinet is this is not a cabinet for the long haul. This is a cabinet which is all about campaigning. And the chances are that it's not even the chances are is that basically Johnson has set this up as a campaigning uh, cabinet because we're going to have an election sooner rather than later. That's how everything feels. Absolutely. Um, There will be... I, I, everyone feels an election either autumn or spring um, either on the back of I've achieved no deal and now I'm going to have an election before the consequences are too dire or you bastard parliament have forced me to, to have another extension rather than no deal I need a parliament that will back me let's get out there and, and win no deal for the country and, and actually try to get a mandate for no deal Brexit. Is the Labour Party, or let, let, let's forget the Labour Party and all of this. Let's put, <laughs> Everybody else uh, has. <laughs> <laughs> let's put policy before party. And the policy is that I want the UK to remain. How are the remain parties um, looking uh, ranged up against this very uh, Brexity cabinet? Divided is the answer. Um, there are lots and lots of remain. Emma, people. I need you there to give us hope. A... It's the end of this section. <laughs> give us hope, please. Um, I mean, there are. The Labour has travelled a long way in terms of its support for remain. Mm-hmm. Um, it needs to go a little bit further, but it's it really has started to get there properly. Um, if it can, and Johnson is not as pop. He's had a bump. Every new Prime Minister gets a bump. Um, But I'm not sure how long that's going to last. And the Tories are going to go to war with each other. And there are enough Tories who will pull the house down, actually, um, to make it very difficult to have a no-deal Brexit. Which means that we probably are closer to a general election. That general election could well be fought by several parties arguing for a second referendum and having that in their manifesto. Um, you then get to a point where you've got a mixed parliament. That makes it a lot easier for those parties to then come together and form a coalition government. There you go. That's some hope. (laughs) All right. On that note, folks, we've got some hope, but an election is coming. It's on to our takeaways of the last seven days. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. All right, quick pause. I absolutely have nothing here. So when I have, whenever I have nothing, Doug, which is often, I go, Doug, you go first. <laughs> All right, so Douglas. All right, um, it's now your time to shine, sir. Emma has just given us a tiny bit of hope, at least us Remainers anyway, because I don't think there's any leavers listening to this podcast. Um, so... With hope in the air, why don't you continue that soar up in the heavens uh, and tell us about your, your takeaway of the last seven days? Well, in the course of a week with a lot of very depressing news, especially about politics that we've been talking about, it was so refreshing to see a seesaw built on a stretch of the border between the United States and Mexico oh, yes. by uh, an architect and a couple of artists it is so much fun watching the video of kids on the two sides of the border playing with each other like real human beings normally do and that gives me hope. you know I, I i saw that i didn't see the video i saw the photograph how the heck was that constructed doug yeah like i'm imagining there's the wall and then some guys come along with some like chainsaws, cut lumps out of it. Wouldn't they be arrested or something or another? I believe. I, I think they were able to. Uh, one of the leaders was a was an architect, so you know somebody with some engineering skills figured out a way. I think those were just. Um, I don't know what the material is, but the they they figured out a way to position it on 
existing structure and it was just mm -hmm. a matter of placing these tubes with seats on them in the right spots and it worked mm. oh, it's blooming clever if nothing else uh, Emma your time um, I'm going to talk and I know you're going to laugh at me but I don't care it was the Love Island final on Monday Oh, geez. and it was really <laughs> uplifting because what we did as a country was go sod all the silly romantic stuff see that amazing strong woman who stood up for herself and actually stood by her principles we're going to vote for her never mind who she's coupled up with because basically it's very clear that while Amber and Greg won Amber absolutely 100% won Love Island and we didn't go for the nice cute couple who'd been together forever we went for the woman who'd been treated absolutely atrociously and then turned around and said no no you cannot come back no you cannot you go away I'm going to make the right choice for me and frankly I've had a shitty week uh, excuse my language Things like that is exactly what I needed. I needed a good cry for a good reason. Ah, well, hopefully uh, from here on in, uh, your week is going to go up, upwards. And um, I must admit, like the whole Love Island thing, I think it's in large part because I'm not in the UK. It's completely passed me by, and I know this has been like a cultural phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's huge. For the, like, the last three years, even my so. mum got me to explain everything that had happened to her. <laughs> and and Lena Dunham's even got into it, hasn't she? Because mm. she's currently in Cardiff uh, working. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I it's it's lost on me. It's utterly lost on me. But um, my takeaway of the week is, yeah, I've always been a sucker wildlife but dare i say it i'm a sucker for sexy wildlife um ever since i was a little kid you're gonna talk about those foxes on john oliver are you N no no not the foxes <laughs> but it's ever since uh, it's the one thing which me and my father bonded over when i was a kid whenever um survival was on tv it's a wildlife program documentary wildlife program you just say come and sit next to me and we would sit down and watch lions elephants etc in on the african savannah uh and that's what we do i, I just re so vivid was just survival on itv watching with my dad and it's inculcated a love of wildlife but it's this sexy animals uh, you know i'll freely admit it is your lions and your tigers but just reading that um, in India, conservation efforts have been that successful that the population, the Indian population of tigers, I believe, was something like a hundred thousand in 1900, and it dwindled to something like a thousand, and that population is now bouncing back because of the conservation efforts of the Indian government. And Narendra Modi doesn't get lots of plaudits in the West. But the Indian government have been really strenuous with their efforts to um, to have parks for for tigers, but then also to speak to the communities around them and say that they need to live with them. And there is a lot of tension whereby these tigers are killing livestock 
and and I forget the number of tiger attacks on humans um, because they're living cheap by jowls with humans is actually quite frequent. It's not that rare a thing, but the government are sticking by its principles and trying to educate the villagers around uh, these these the areas where the tigers actually do live, and the tiger numbers are bouncing back, and it just it, it just like just warmed me in a week where. We have this um, nakedly, uh, I would say, venal politician who's mm. patently dishonest. And I mean Boris Johnson, not Yeah, Donald I was like, Trump. which one? <laughs> yeah, because the, the, the thing is about Trump, I think he's having some early onset of, of dementia. He's not a bright guy. Um, people were, vo- you know, you got what you were voting for. You know, with Trump, Trump doesn't have the intellectual capacity to think two two steps ahead, etc., yeah. etc. Et blah 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 blah. Boris Johnson's a completely different animal. You know, they both share blonde hair, but actually, coldly calculating, and just wants to be prime minister for being prime minister's sake. Here is somebody who instinctively actually is a social liberal. Is is, is right wing, uh, right of centre, shall we say? But. Um, he is manoeuvring to get himself the top prize and actually has done that. He's somebody who has a little and no conviction, doesn't believe um, in, in anything other than Boris Johnson. And in a week where this person has uh, got the top seat in, in, British, in British government, just to read that tigers, who are the most beautiful of creatures, who have... Figures, uh, the amount of figures, less than 10,000 left in the wild. And to think that, um, of all places in India where they are living next to humans, their figures are rebounding gave me some uh, level of joy this week. So that's it Indian conservation with tigers. Uh, Doug Levy, where can people find you on social media? I am SF Doug on Twitter, and that's the best way to find me. And how about you, Emma Burnell? I'm taking a bit of a Twitter break at the moment. Oh, good. Good. You as well. Though, after saying that, I did post a picture of uh, me, well, not me, of my two daughters um, in Oakland uh, yesterday um, outside of, right next to a big mural, and I just said, because of all Trump's bullshit and an anti-black rhetoric, I took them on a bit of a mural tour of uh, black heroes in Oakland. But other than that, uh, I'm off it too. Um, so we can't talk about you on social media, but we can talk about political human. Tell us about that. Uh, yes. So if anyone in the US or the UK uh, would like any sort of editorial or communication support, uh, then I am very happy to provide. Uh, so you can find me at politicalhuman.com. Awesome. And of course, we are midatlanticshow.com on our website. And we are going to start to change things change things up a little. Um, back in the dim and distant past of this podcast, we actually did have people who would actually ring in 
and ask questions and uh, clarify points that we've made in a previous episode. We're gonna we're gonna bring that back in the next in the next month or so. We're gonna shake things up a little. We'll be doing things uh, this way for five years now, and five years <laughs> is a long time. So look out for a slightly new shiny Mid Atlantic show. You can email me where I'm at. Oh, not email me where I'm at. You can email <laughs> me where I'm Royfield at gmail dot com uh, to give me your thoughts and feelings. And uh, we look forward to. Uh, um, hearing from you don't forget folks left of center politics is the right politics um regardless of gender color race or creed we should all be given an even shake of the stick to lucy all again soon bye-bye Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.